Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of the Masterclass. Dave, did you know that nine is the largest single-digit number? It is the largest single-digit number, yes. So, this should probably be our best podcast thus far. <laughs> thus far. Should it not? Yes. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> I, uh, I had a friend in college who, his favorite number is nine, and I thought it was kind of odd. I was like, well, it's not your birthday, you weren't born in September... Why not? And he was like, because it's the greatest number. And I was like, what are you talking about? Think about it. It's the biggest single-digit number. There's no other single-digit number that can compare. <laughs> and I was just like, way too much thought into picking your favorite number. <laughs> and he wasn't even like a math major or a nerd or anything like that. He's, and ever since then, the, the number nine has stuck with me as being the, the greatest, biggest number nine. Number, I should say. To uh, reference Sheldon Cooper once again during our podcast, his favorite number is 73, and he has kind of uh, persuaded me to be that 73 is a good number. Why is 73 his favorite number? You know, he's got a whole bunch of things that I'm not smart enough to remember. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's, it's one of those things in like binary code, it's like... Zero one zero one zero one zero. It's mm-hmm. symmetrical, and I think it's a prime number. And you know, he has all kinds of things like that. I like it because it's my favorite temperature, seventy three. Ooh, so yeah, seventy three is a good. I'm always comfortable at seventy three yeah. degrees. Jeans, so. shorts, t-shirt, hoodie. <laughs> you can, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's the intro to episode nine. Numbers. Numbers again. again. We should. <laughs> We should have a math podcast, Dave Horry. Talk about arithmetic and my gazintas and And we can talk about like the red moons and you know all See I'm already lost. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I got to calculus and then I was like, Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) All right, so we actually have some follow up today. Awesome. We have follow up. It's been a while. Yeah. But we got some. And it comes from the eldest of my two younger sisters. Katie, who lives in Seattle, Washington, a place I've never been, but long to go. I would second that. Uh, she loves it. She says that I would love it too, just to rub it in that I've never been. <laughs> um, so I got a text message from her this week while I was actually at Costco doing some grocery shopping. Um, and the text message said, no discussion of domestic violence, question mark, question mark. I'm only halfway through, but it sounds like that's not getting addressed at all in the divorce section. And this is, she was listening to episode eight, our last episode, um, which is great that my sister listens. I'm super happy that she listens. Um, and I, I read that text message and I, I literally stopped in the middle of the IOA in Costco, just like, huh, never even crossed my mind to even talk about domestic violence in divorce. We talked about pretty much everything else. Uh, but I never throughout the whole week of preparation, not during the conversation, not until I saw that text message and I go, Oh, that's a really big issue that we totally sure glossed over. Um, and so I wanted to take the opportunity now to talk about that. Um, and what the Bible says about divorce and, and obviously the, uh, horrible situation that that domestic um, violence is and and how that fits in with what Jesus said um, here. So uh, I know Dave has some thoughts on this, so <laughs> I'll uh, I'll let you share first, and then I think I will respond. 
Sounds good. Well, I, I too am glad that Katie is listening. So, Katie, thanks for giving us your time and giving us your feedback. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm with Cam. I, I I will say that I probably had a fleeting thought when we were in this room talking, thinking about domestic violence. But, um, no, we did not address it. And so grateful that Katie's brought that up. And, um, you know, I think first and foremost, when when we're doing this podcast, we are... Uh, and, and this really isn't to make excuses, but our, our focus is on what Jesus said. And so, so you know, that's where we're coming from. And uh, I definitely think that this is a very valid um, point to make that uh, I think domestic violence is one of those things that should be taken in consideration uh, when it comes to divorce. And um, not just uh, physical violence, but emotional abuse and psychological abuse and just a lot of the controlling that can go um, with uh, being in a relationship. And uh, what I had shared with Cam is that uh, I have I have two daughters. And I have told both of them that I don't care if they know a guy for 50 minutes or 50 years. If he ever lays a hand on either one of them, they're done. And I, I don't know how to be, you know, like any clearer to them of you don't hit and you don't hit another human being. And for me, there is something about a guy hitting a girl that makes it even, I don't know, call me sexist or bias or whatever. But I, to me, that's even worse. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, I've told them that you get out of that relationship immediately, whether it's a brand new one or it's an old one. And I am not joking when I tell them that if they continue to be in a relationship like that and I find out about it, there's a good chance that dad is going to end up going to jail <laughs> and the other person may not be on this earth any longer. So, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, of joking in that, but then there's also an element of, um, I, I just, I can't fathom what I would be like if somebody did that to my daughter, one of my children. So, um, and again, I, I get the irony of violence responding with violence and well funny enough we're going to talk about the rest of our podcast so it all works see jesus is smart he puts all the stuff and it just it's goes together yeah so so yeah i i think that's a very valid and uh, ultimately i would venture to say that there's probably other things that we may not even be taking into consideration that um you know ultimately as we've been in this series of looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount and uh, talking about different things, it's sort of what is what is the heart of the matter? What is the intent behind this? And it's basically saying marriage should not be entered in lightly and then divorce is the same. It's not just a here's my out sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, no, I'm no longer in love with you is not the acceptable answer. <laughs> you know... Uh, my feelings for you have changed. That's, you know, you work on that kind of stuff. But, you know, I would even venture to say there's probably some financial situations where, you know, it, it, that would allow for it. Um, you know, if somebody has, it, 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 you really have to take it. It's, it's really between you and God as to, as to uh, how long you stay in a relationship but I would say that there's probably some addiction issues. There's probably financial issues. There are things that, given enough time, 
um, might be a reason for divorce. Um, but ultimately, it's the idea behind these are not to be taken lightly. And hopefully we conveyed that, but maybe not. Yeah, so... I'm with I'm with you. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this, and, and and I don't have kids, and I don't have daughters, and and I don't know anyone that's ever been in a physically abusive relationship. And I realize that that puts me in a unfortunately a unique position. I feel like domestic violence is a much more common thing than my experience has. Yeah. Um. Given me, um, and so I really I had to think about it and. And so I think there's there's a, there's a few things that I think we need to kind of clarify in that when when Jesus says that um, the the only like acceptable reason for divorce is, is sexual morality, he's saying like the only way that that God is going to say that is a good thing to happen um, is is that that particular situation. Um, I also don't think that if, if people were to get divorced for other reasons, like you mentioned, you know, someone gambles the entire life savings away, someone's addicted to cocaine as in endangering their children, um, you know, a husband is beating his wife and his children. Um, like, if someone were to get divorced in that situation, I would not condemn them at all. I wouldn't say, oh, you're a horrible person for getting out of such... But I also don't think I can say that's an a biblical reason for getting divorced. Like you can't, you know what I mean? You can't right. say, Oh yes, that's, that's exactly what the Bible says about divorce. No, you, you kind of have to say you're in a terrible situation. And I would hope, um, like the example I was thinking of was, okay, so you're both professing Christians. Cause obviously none of this applies to people that aren't Christians. Yes. I would um, agree with that. None of this applies. And, and there's a quote from, um, Martin Lloyd Jones that I'm going to read here in a bit that kind of explains why, um, theologically, this shouldn't even apply to people that aren't Christians. Um, but uh, you're both professing Christians, um, and the husband starts to beat the wife. Well, then my, my initial reaction is, get you and the kids out of the house. Just gone. Or get him, you know, call the police. Like, get get to safety as quick as possible, obviously. Right. Remove yourself from the situation where you could be hurt further. Um and and then there has to start the process of of repentance and of of reconciliation. I don't think um, anyone who truly is saved could justify ever beating another person, especially a spouse, right? And so if if that person who is doing the abusing is unrepentant and is unwilling to reconcile, then I think for your safety and the safety of your family, divorce is the best option. It doesn't mean that it's what God in intends, but for your safety and for the betterment of that situation, it's probably the best of a bunch of crappy um, outcomes. Yeah. And that's solely based upon one person who is w unwilling to repent and reconcile and clearly is in defiance of God. Right. Um, so, yeah, whether whether it be domestic violence or addiction or um, 
anything like that. I think it's it's a very sticky situation because the Bible doesn't say A or B. Um, <laughs> but I think we also have to understand that um, there are a lot of other issues in life that we have to kind of say, you know, of the possibilities I'm presented with, these are all the crappy options and I have to choose the one that I think is the best. Right. And, and I, and I don't, I don't think that Jesus would ever say, yes, stay in the abusive relationship, allow yourself to be beaten, allow your children to be beaten. Um, I just, I don't see how he could. And maybe I'm wrong, but you know, the only scenario I could come up with is you don't get divorced. doesn't mean you stay in the same right. house together, you separated, you, you don't... separate, because, because even in that, yeah, I, I thought about that as well. Because the other thing I would even say is, is that, um, you know, there's an element of, uh, yeah, go ahead and get divorced, but don't be in a hurry for that next marriage either. Maybe it shouldn't even happen, and that's that. That was another thing that I've that I've thought about. Of, um, yeah, you know, maybe you do get a divorce, maybe you just separate. But it's sort of that, what is it that you are seeking to make you a whole person? And that's where I just, again, I would tell somebody in an abusive relationship to get away from it. If it ends in divorce, so be it. But your pursuit should not be to find that next spouse to replace that person. Mm -hmm. Your pursuit should be to seek God and have him kind of be your other half and to complete you and... You know, all those kinds of things. And, um, yeah, so that's, you know, I, I, I do think there are other options. So, uh, and again, it's, I think uh, much of us live with this lens of these are my rights. These are what I'm owed. This is what I deserve. And I think very often, or not very often, it would not be out of the realm of God to ask somebody to do things like remain married to somebody who's abusive. Maybe not in the same home, but you remain married and you spend the rest of your life praying for that person to become, to change, to whatever, and that that may never happen. Uh-huh. And it's just that sense of uh, surrender to God versus... Um, what I'm entitled to, what I can rightfully, you know, and as even as I say that, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> claiming that I'd be able to do it or I think it would be easy or uh, so don't, I'm not trying to be glib or, uh, you know, petty in, in something like that. Uh, I just, um, it would be, it would be difficult to do, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility of what some, what God might ask of somebody. Yeah. He's asked, similarly difficult or uh, unlikely things of and we, we mentioned Hosea last episode yeah. or the adultery episode yeah um, yeah well I think do you have any further thoughts on that I feel like I mean uh, you know the only other one is is uh, there's a book called The Intercessor I think it's uh, I can't think of the guy's name Reese Howell Boy, I'm drawing a blank. But yeah. the name of the book is The Intercessor. And ultimately, the main person in the book 
um, gives their child up for adoption to be a missionary or to, to live a life for God. And that's just one of those things that it's like, I, to me, that would be almost tougher than the divorce piece is to give up a child that I have the ability to raise. Mm -hmm. But he definitely had that feeling that God was asking him to do that. And so. <laughs> yeah, that'd, be one, that'd be one of those, like, are you sure that's, am I, am I, I'm just making that up. There's no way. <laughs> There's that, no way that that's really what you're. My bad. You're busy. We're good. I'm just going to go on with my, my day. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we go ahead and, uh, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to read that quote from okay. um, Martin Lloyd-Jones before we jump into our text. So uh, let me go ahead and pull that up. In his book called Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this uh, about how the Sermon on the Mount only applies um to those that are saved. It says, If we ask a man who has not been born again and who has not received the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, we are really saying that a man can justify himself by works, and that is heresy. We are suggesting that a man, by his own efforts and by putting his mind to it, can save this life. That is an absolute contradiction of the whole of the New Testament. Our Lord established that once and forever in his interview with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was clearly on the point of asking, What have I to do in order that I may be like you? My dear friend, said our Lord to him in effect, do not think of it in terms of what you can do. You cannot do anything. You must be born again. Therefore, to ask for Christian conduct from an individual who is not born again, let alone a nation or a group of nations or a world of nations, is both impossible and wrong. When we're talking about uh, you know, adultery and, and uh, keeping your word and divorce and being salt and being light and, and the Beatitudes and all that stuff, we realize that the only way that we're able to even come close to doing those things is simply because of what Christ has done. Um, that we are not able to do these things on our own to earn our salvation, to uh, earn our way to heaven, to earn our spot before God. Those things are given to us by what Christ has done. And so... Um, you know, to to apply what we're saying to to people that uh, are not Christians, um, I can imagine why it would seem like Christianity would suck. <laughs> I've got to try this hard every single day to be this kind of person, only to fail. Uh, and then that's really not what it's about at all. No, not at all. You know, the the, the grace of God and, and the work of the Holy Spirit is that every day, yes, we do fail, but we do so knowing that God is working in us to grow us, to mature us, to uh, make us more like Jesus. And certain, certainly, it takes work. Yep. But that work is not to prove a point. That work is not to earn a pat on the back or a attaboy that work is to honor god for who he is and what he's done and so i just think it's it's very easy in a performance-based society to become a performance-based pseudo-christian yes so uh, i just think that was a 
it was a good reminder for me about, you know, all the things that we have been talking about and we're going to continue to talk about later in this episode. Um, but I just wanted to throw that quote in there before we <laughs> moved along. So before we, before we do move along, uh, I do want to let everybody know that if you did want to follow up with us about um, anything that we've said, uh, you can do that on Twitter. It's at MasterclassFM uh, or Facebook.com slash MasterclassFM. Or you can email us, guess where, MasterclassFM at gmail.com. <laughs> there's, there's a theme there. Uh, also, if you're related to me, you can just send me a text message like my sister did. But I'm not going to give everyone my phone number. That's, that's silliness. <laughs> um, so let us know what you think at any of those places. Uh, also, if you want the show notes for this particular episode, you can go to masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash nine. That would be the the digit, not the word. All right, Dave, would you uh, share with us the text that we're going to be discussing? Sure. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, Matthew 5. Does it start at 38 or 39? 38. 38 through 42. And it reads, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That's our text for today. Alright, so I think before we get further on, we should maybe do uh, some definitions of, of some terms here so that we're all hopefully on uh, <laughs> the same page. Um, so when he says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he's referring, it, it comes three times in the Pentateuch, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and, uh, Exodus, I believe. Not numbers. They, they count <laughs> cows in that book. They don't talk about this. Um, so, uh, everything that I read, and I did some, some, some real research this week, Dave, because I feel like this particular saying, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and, th and this whole passage about, um, you know, turning the other cheek is is abused a lot, um, and specifically about pacifism and how even, like, uh, Leo, Leo Tolstoy thought that even cops were unbiblical because we're not supposed to resist evil, we're just supposed to let it happen, and, uh, and it... it taken out of context and to the extreme it can provide some really stupid uh opportunities and so um everything that i read said you know a lot of people like look at oh an eye for eye tooth for tooth and they think it's just this uh just barbaric law right when in reality if you look at the mosaic law it is trying to prevent right a life of excess um, and so when it says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, it's not about vengeance. In fact, it's about preventing vengeance because when you retaliate, Dave, if you punch me in the face, I'm, my initial reaction is I'm going to break his jaw. 
And not only am I going to hit him in the face, I'm going to hurt him worse than he hurt me. Um, and that that initial reaction happens when you're two, and it happens when you're 60. Like, it is this natural desire to retaliate and to defend your honor and your right as a human being to do whatever. Um, and so when the law says no, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, it's not, it's not about vengeance. It's about controlling the emotion of retaliation. Mm-hmm. And saying, okay, you were wronged thusly. You may respond in an equal and appropriate manner. And what's even more interesting uh, is that a lot of what I read was like this was for the judges to decide. This was not my neighbor threw his dog poop in my yard. And so I'm going to light his yard on fire because... I feel personally that that is an equal and <laughs> adequate response. No, if there is a issue, we take it before the judicial system mm-hmm. and the judges that um, Moses had appointed, you know, over the tens and the hundreds and the five hundreds and all that stuff, would then be the ones that would decide what was equal. And so they were the ones that were determining an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Not me and you when we're both upset with each right. other. Um, and so this whole movement for oh an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and do not resist evil we're just going to be pacifists it's not worth it's taking it out of the context of what the mosaic law was and that was the judicial system setting up an equal and appropriate payment for wrongdoing and so i think we need to keep that in mind that it's about it's about limiting the excess of emotional response and not that emotions are a bad thing but when we are angry or upset or we feel threatened, we tend to overreact. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the authors I read, you know, brought up the point like, okay, it starts out with someone steals something. Well, then someone burns someone's house down. Well, then someone kills someone. Well, then someone kills someone. Then you've got a clan war, and then you've got a national war, and then you've got oh, World War One. You know, these things escalate and you, you read about, you know, like the Romeo and Juliet and like all of the classic tragedies of clan hatred. It all stems back from one incident. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a tale as old as time, unfortunately. And it still happens today. Well, and like Cain and Abel, right? Yeah. Well, God liked this better. So how did how did he react? Not equal. He killed his brother. Yeah. <laughs> that is retaliation in a nutshell right there. Yeah. Well, I'm upset, so I'm going to do something worse because that's going to make me feel better. Um, yeah, and it still happens today. Um, and, it, and it, you know, may not result in violence, but, you know, petty gossip and that stuff between families and cliques forming in neighborhoods because one neighbor did this, and so now the neighborhood's divided by, like, who's on this person's side and who's on that person's side, and it's just stupid stuff like that. Yes. So, that being said... Let's jump into the cheek discussion. Because you had an interesting comment on our note sheet that I, that I want you to discuss. But the if someone smacks you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Yes. I know how I feel about this, but Dave, I want to I wanna hear your professional opinion. Well, again, you know, and I, I just... Truly, as, as Cam and I are talking about this stuff and we look at it over the week, I, I, I try to think about my own life and, and, and applying it. And um, 
being being a police officer, you know, uh, nobody has ever slapped me. I've never been slapped. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel but, like if you're going to go at a cop, you got to come with them some force. <laughs> yes. I, you know, so I, I, um, I have had people swing at me. Uh, I've had people resist, um, when I, uh, try to place them under arrest. And, you know, uh, for me, I think that just, I mean, it defeats the purpose of what my job is. You know, I would not be doing what I was hired to do if, so. you know, when somebody came at me physically to instead of meeting that force with more force mm-hmm. to turn the other cheek. I get this is a hot topic uh, and I don't want to, you know, minimize what is going on out there. But the reality is, is that as police officers, uh, in order to keep ourselves safe and other citizens safe, uh, we really do have to meet force with force to be effective. And so, yeah, I really don't have uh, the option in my career to turn the other cheek. And I think if I was truly convicted by that, then I would have to find another job. Well, I'm going to come at you from a different angle. All right. And hopefully I'm... I'll just go. Okay. All right. So, again, what I was reading and and what I think makes sense after reflecting on it for a while is that this whole turn the other cheek, uh, give them your cloak if they give you a tunic, walk with them two miles out of one. There's a lot of cultural, historical stuff buried in this Mm -hmm. that at first glance we're like, be a pushover? No thanks. (laughs) And like you're saying, you can't be a pushover as a cop. You can't Mm -hmm. let some guy, some drunk college kid come at you and punch you in the face and say, oh, give me another shot before I arrest you. Like that, I don't think that's at all what this is saying. I don't, yeah. Um, So I think the... I think you can turn the other cheek as a police officer, but I think it's in a different way than in a physical encounter. Um, and so, uh, the example I've read a few times and, and it may be reading a bit too much into it, but I don't really necessarily think that it is. Most people are right-handed. I've seen statistics anywhere from like 80 to 90% of the people on the planet are right-handed. Mm-hmm. Now it says, uh, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, if I come at you with my right hand, where am I going to hit you on your face? Left. How's the only way I'm going to hit you on the right side of your cheek? Is with the left hand. Or if I backhand, backhand you. Which is an insult more than a... And even, like I read an article, even in Ireland today, someone will say, the back of my hand to you, which is pretty much saying, get out of my way. Like, you're a piece right. of crap. I don't even have the time for you. And so, and if you look at that with also with um, the person suing you for your, for your tunic which is like your clothes and a cloak is what you wore to sleep at night. is like your blanket kind of thing, which legally I read that if they were to sue you for that, they could have it, but they would have to give it to you every night so that you wouldn't sleep and freeze to death. So literally they could <laughs> sue you for your cloak, but every night they'd have to drop by your house and give it to you so you could sleep at night. That's interesting. And so, and then also with the, the one mile, two mile things, the, the Roman government could at any point, Right. commandeer an individual and say you need to carry this for a mile the mile was the, the length that they could do it for and then after the end of the mile you could literally drop their stuff in the mud and walk away and so 
what Jesus is theoretically, if if what I've read is correct, and I believe it to be correct, because it makes sense with the whole uh, context of this entire sermon of, of how we're supposed to live life differently, is that if if someone is looking to insult you or better you in the public square or is looking to abuse the power they have over you, then we are to forego our rights, mm-hmm. uh, forego our honor, and give them what they ask for and then still be generous out of that. Um, so I, I don't think that Jesus is saying, Dave, let some college punk beat you up on the job. Good. I don't think that at all. I, and, and if you read other parts of you know the scriptures, there's, there's examples where Jesus and Paul both stand up for themselves and don't turn the other cheek because they're being abused. They're standing up for what is true and what is right, and they are protesting even. Like when Paul and Barnabas get thrown in jail, and they're as Roman citizens, and Paul raises a stink, and then they realize they made a mistake, you can go, and Paul says, no, you bring the magistrate down here, and he will let us out personally, because he's standing up for what is true and what is right. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a personal attack on his honor or who he is. It's, it's standing up for what the law is. Right. And there's a difference there. And so I think it's easy to read Turn the Other Cheek as be a pushover. Right. And one article I read was like, no parent should ever teach their kid how to be beat up by a bully. We should not use this as, a, well, if a kid pushes you around at school, then... Because there's a difference between being insulted and being shamed and being attacked. Right. Those are very different things. One is to try and uh, make you feel less than, and the other is to physically harm you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think that... Uh, when we read this as as modern, modern current what as people that are currently alive, uh, I've never been in a situation where someone I've ever seen anyone get smacked backhanded like, "Don't talk to me, you're scum, you're my slave," or whatever. Right. Like that doesn't seem to be a cultural thing in America. However, that has sort of been replaced with gossip and public humiliation and kind of emotional bullying and not physical bullying Mm -hmm. um in the school and workplace um and so i think it applies much more so in those contexts than perhaps what you were saying sure um i think agree with oh yeah oh no i definitely would agree so, to that point, I think that you do have the opportunity as a police officer to turn the cheek in the point where uh, a citizen is being belligerent and saying things to you. And you can right. just say, still go about your job, yeah. but you don't have to retaliate Yes. Uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You can just, you know, arrest well, the, without giving it back to them, yeah. if that makes sense. Because Oh, it completely makes sense. In fact, this is... Um, I'm actually, we have 40 hours a year that we have to have as police officers and I'm currently teaching our in-service that we do. And this is one of the topics that comes up and, uh, I'll use the word jerk, but we use other words, (laughs) just being candid with our audience. Uh, um, but you know, I can... 
I can be, I can have a command presence is how we describe it. I can be in charge. I can control the situation without being a jerk. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of one of the things that we are trying to impart in our folks. And I, I even think it comes down to the, to a lot of the stuff that is going on in our nation right now. A lot of cops don't know how to do that. They don't know how to have a command presence, how to be in charge without being a jerk. And so I think that's why there is some of the tension that there is. And Well, it's easier to be a jerk. Yeah, it is yeah. easier to be a jerk. It is easier. It is. The couple things that, you know, encourage officers to do is, one, sell the ticket. If when you give somebody a ticket, they thank you for that ticket, you've done your job. And you'd be surprised at how often you can actually get somebody to thank you for giving them a ticket if you approach it correctly. Well, I'm not even say correctly. If you approach it with the, the idea of my, my purpose here is not to make myself good, feel good. My purpose here is not to belittle this person. My person, you know, my objective here is not to be a jerk. Uh -huh. My purpose here is to keep the community safe by pointing out that this person violated a traffic infraction by speeding, running a red light or whatever. Truly things that could hurt another person, you know, given the, the, the you know, if we you play out what could possibly happen in these things and say, you know, I am doing this because if we don't, then people get hurt, bad things happen, we have anarchy, cats and dogs move in together, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the world comes undone. And ultimately, again, if you point that out to a person and you, and you sell the ticket, they're going to say thank you to you. I've been in an all-out fight with somebody, taking them to jail, and on the drive to jail, you would think that we were two strangers that had, you know, uh, had met at a bus stop and... We were making, you know, we were learning to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can you can literally be in an all-out fight with somebody, and if you're respectful and uh, you don't belittle them and you don't treat them like a jerk, then they'll... I mean, I've actually... I, I, I'm thinking specifically of one December where I, you know, had a situation with a guy and I'm taking him out to jail, and I'm still huffing and puffing, but I know that I was fair. You know, I did things above reproach, and you could just feel kind of this awkwardness and the guy's like, so you got plans for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, cop car confessional with Dave Hogue. <laughs> and you know, and it was one of those things where it's like, you know, in my mind, I'm going, I'm not telling you what I'm doing for Christmas, but I recognize the fact that this guy was sort of like going, okay, our issue is done. We're two human beings. Mm -hmm. I don't have to hold a grudge here. And kind of like, grasping for what he can think to to, to ask about so um that's funny so yeah and that's you know I, I just um conflict is such an interesting thing i hate conflict but it is such a part of my life and it's such a part of my world and it is a um if you if you do conflict conflict is not a negative it's just kind of a given of our human existence. Mm -hmm. And if you don't let kind of the, what we're talking about here, if you don't let the, the, um, your, your personal agenda, 
your feelings get hurt, the this is what I'm owed. If you kind of die to self, well, definitely, if you die to self and you say, I'm going to turn the other cheek, it is amazing that the positive things that can come out of uh, conflict, even if you take it to the extreme of I'm taking somebody's freedoms away uh, to take them to jail. And it's been few and far between, but there have been opportunities to share Christ with people mm-hmm. even after I've arrested them. And that's God's glory. Completely him. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do <laughs> with me at all. So, well, and and your, your comment on, on dying to self, um, I think, leads directly into what I was wanting to get to next. So, all kudos right. to you, Dave. <laughs> uh, another quote um, from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his study of some of the Sermon on the Mount book. He says, Our Lord here is unveiling and exposing this horrible thing that controls the natural man, self. That terrible legacy that has come down from the fall of man, which makes man glorify himself and set himself up as a god. He protects this self all along and in every way, but he does it not only when he's attacked or when something is taken from him, he does it also in the matter of his possessions. If another wants to borrow from him, his instinctive response is, why should I part with my goods and impoverish myself? It is the self the whole time. Our Lord desires to produce in us a spirit that does not take offense easily at such things. Being insulted, being shamed, being publicly humiliated. Um, that does not seek immediate means of retaliation. He wants us to reach a state in which we are indifferent to self and self-esteem. And I think this is really what Christ is driving at in this, this section of, of turning the other cheek, of giving someone who's trying to extort you or wrongfully take from you more of of using the person who's abusing their power and going with and helping them out more uh is is this this whole idea of well i have rights and i those rights are being violated and, and one of the articles i read and, and i i'll try and find it is um it might even have been um the martin lloyd jones book because it's like when we become christians our rights go out the door like rights is a very uh prideful thing if you think about it it's my right to do this and it leads quickly to entitlement and if you look at the the generation my generation and younger we're entitled to everything we don't want to work hard we want everything to be given to us um but as christians when we accept that free gift of salvation from christ and we realize where we stand in the universe before god and everybody else our rights and what we are entitled to no longer exist because the problem where our rights actually matter no longer exists. We are no longer separated from God. We are no longer reliant upon ourselves to survive. Like, I mean, obviously we still have to work and we still have to eat and we still have to clothe ourselves but if we believe what the Bible says, God provides those things, right? Yes. And so this this whole idea of dying to self is really about, you know, when Paul says in Corinthians that, uh, you know, in Christ we are all new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. 
the the act of becoming part of God's family, of being adopted into that family, is dying to this old self that we knew that was defensive, that was prideful, that had rights. And if you got in the way of my rights, we'll screw you and your family, and we're going to have a clan war, and I'm going to defend myself, and I'm going to retaliate, and I'm going to do what I can to protect mm-hmm. who I am and what is mine, because you can't have it, and it's mine. And, and that's a very primal instinct. I mean, you see it, you see it in toddlers. That's my toy. She right. took a <laughs> meltdown city because I can't have something that's mine. It's mine. And you can't have it because it's mine. And you see that instinct in young children. You see it in animals. You see it in adults. And it's it's this instinct of survival that when you become part of God's family, Christ just wants to remove. Right. Because you don't need it anymore. You're not you don't earn your survival in Christ. There's no need to protect what's yours because God's already done that. And so we we enter into God's family and we're swinging our fists and we're trying to hoard what's ours when God's like, "Here, have more." Mhm. You have more. I got plenty. Have more. Yeah. And we just don't know what to do with that because we're so used to having to defend and survive and protect and always be on the defensive. And and, and so for me, this is kind of like, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. Like, sure. Oh, yeah. And so when, when Christ, you know, tells us to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross and, and follow him and, and to turn the other cheek and... And to go with the offender an extra mile and do all this stuff, it's so unnatural that I get when non-Christians read this stuff, I'm like, you guys are insane. Why would I do that to somebody? Why would I Why would I help somebody out? Why would I, like the next part we're going to talk about next episode, why would I love my enemies? Yeah. Why? It doesn't make any <laughs> sense apart from what Christ has done for us. It just doesn't. Um, and so I just, I think it's the the... The issue I see is, is you know, I'm a selfish person. Like, I really am. I'm a nice guy. I'm personable. But I am selfish. My thoughts are consistently revolving around me. Yeah. Um, and so I read stuff like this. And I'm like, oh, I do that stuff all the time. No, I don't. <laughs> no, no, I I'm don't either. I'm always looking out for number one. Yeah. Um, in the moments where I'm not... It's purely because God's like, all right, I'm taking over. Like, <laughs> you, you go take a time out. I've got this. Yeah. Uh, and so I just, this week I've just been really impressed with how much becoming a disciple of Christ is calling me to change fundamentally how I view the world, how I view myself, how I view those around me. Um, it's just been uh, enlightening and incredibly frustrating at the same time because you, you see what God calls you to be and you see where you're at and you're just like the disparity seems insurmountable. Because again, I'm approaching it with the how am I going to climb <laughs> that mountain? I can't do that. And, no, you cannot. That's the point. And then it's just, it's, 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 reorienting your whole 
perspective on what life is uh, on a constant basis to what God wants it to be and and it's it's daunting <laughs> at times yeah oh yeah definitely so, I hope that made sense I don't even know how <laughs> yes, I got you made there. sense. so that's just I mean that's just kind of how I view um, this and, and the dying to self thing and and the letting stuff go I don't have to retaliate uh, like Dallas Willard said I don't have to have the last word I don't no I can just it's a good place to end class today like I can just let it go <laughs> yeah I don't have to retaliate like I don't need to there's no benefit from it the benefit is in showing that person grace and just saying okay have a nice day right um, and that is just such a non-american thing to do <laughs> but you know and this may be a stretch but you know and i don't know that there's a whole lot of biblical uh, i'll just put it this way practical application or, or if you want to see this is um what you know what type of person are you when you're driving you know do you pull up to a red light and you choose the shortest lane you know the, the one that's got the fewest cars in it type of things uh, do you, when you're at the grocery store, do you do the same thing? You know, do you, do you calculate which lane should I be in? Cause it's going to go the fastest mm -hmm. and it's not just how many people there are, but it's, but how many items are in their cart and then is, the, is the checker somebody that's capable? Yeah. yeah. Is it, is it somebody that looks, you know, we are just, we are constantly, you know, maybe I would just say that again, I, I'll say me. Because I don't want to put this on anybody else. I'm constantly doing those kinds of things. I am constantly, the way I describe it is, I am constantly jockeying for position. You know, whether it be at work, whether it be in my car, whether it be at the grocery store, whatever it may be, I am constantly jockeying to put myself in the best situation, in the best light, so for the best outcome for me. Mm -hmm. And... It's kind of stupid how much time I spend <laughs> doing those kinds of things. I, I mean, and just even getting, you know, even getting mad at somebody in traffic for something that they do. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I've been wronged. You know, I feel like, and it's just, it's, it's ridiculous how, you know, and I'm sure there's many other places in life uh, where that, that, you know, that comes about when somebody gets you know, accolades at work for doing something. And it's like, well, I did the same thing a week ago and nobody said anything or. Yeah. The word, like the word to me that I just keep coming back to for like all of that sort of behavior is just childish. Yeah, it is. And, and you try and tell an adult that they're acting childish. Like, well, I'm the CEO of this and I drive a Jag. And it's like, okay, so you're a kid with fancy things. Like <laughs> I just, the, I had a talk with a coworker today. Um, I don't even know how we got on, what we were even talking about. Um, oh, this is such a stupid story now. I'm forgetting all the important parts. <laughs> but the point was, we we got to the subject of uh, how guys, grown men in serious air quotes, act. And it's the majority, oh, here I go again with generalizations, a lot of grown-up men are not grown-up. 
They are boys in middle-aged bodies with money. Oh, we were talking about we we're talking about music lyrics. That's what it was. We were talking about music lyrics and and how like a lot of pop and hip hop songs like musically are catchy and you like them and then you listen to the lyrics and you just kind of scratch your head and you're like, of all the things that you could have possibly said, this is what you chose to share with the world. <laughs> you you know you've got a a like there's a tongue there's a song called Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson. Musically, I think it's one of the best songs in the last five years. It's got a great horn section. It's just the right tempo. The groove is intense. Like, it makes even people like me want to dance. <laughs> Musically, it's, I love the song. But then you listen to the lyrics, and the whole song is about how awesome this guy thinks he is, and how all the chicks should line up, and I'm hot, and get on board, and fill my cup with some more liquor, because we're going to party, and all the girls want to be with me. It's like, you have been... You have written and have worked on an incredibly catchy, strong, good pop song. <laughs> and that is the message that you chose. Why? Because you're a boy. You're a young kid in a grown-up's body. And you can sing really well and you make good music. Like, I tend to think Bruno Mars is really good. Sure. Uh, hate me all you want. I like his music. Um, but I'm like... You, that is what you want to share with the world is that you are a 15 year old boy. <laughs> That's what you want to share with the world. And so you listen to like some of the rap lyrics and she was like, yeah, it's all about sex, weed, cars, and more sex. I was like, yeah, because they're all 15. And if you were going to write a song as a 15 year old, that's what you're going to write about because <laughs> your body's doing all crazy things. And like, they're just older and they write about the same stuff. And, and it's just, it's just childish, you know, and the whole, oh, I've been wronged because someone cut me off on the freeway. It doesn't get more childish than that. Yeah. And so, you know, I think like to bring this back to some sort of <laughs> biblical topic that, uh, yeah, when Christ is calling us to die to self and, and to, and to do all of these things, it's, it's really like, dude, grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, but grow up, sure. cr- grow up correctly, grow up in the way that God has intended us to grow up, which is to bring us out of our selfishness and our pride and our childish tendencies and to grow up to be like Jesus. Yeah. And, and that is a trajectory that is insanely different from how the world tells us to grow up. Yes, absolutely. Right. Man, I got I got excited about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it just makes I just and I'm I'm childish, you know. I'm I have childish tendencies. But yes. Anyhow, uh, I think that's a good place to stop for tonight. That works. Or this afternoon, or where whatever time of day. Whenever it is. you're listening. Yeah. So. That's it for episode nine. Dave, we hit double digits next time. Wow. That's incredible. (laughs) That's, yeah, it's kind of weird. And I didn't really. No. No. I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. (laughs) But anyhow, that's, that's the reality of it. Um, Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is, uh, honestly, me and Dave do this just because we like to do it and we don't expect, um, we don't really have, I mean, we have, we would love for, you know, the, 
audience to grow and we would love to to meet new people and, and to do cool things but our really our, our expectation for this is that um our families are going to listen <laughs> and tell us how smart we are and and that's it but uh thank you so much for listening and for taking the time out of your day to listen to two guys uh ramble about a few things um like i said earlier if you want to get in contact with us please 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 do so we'd love to hear from you we'd love to uh share your thoughts on the show um and interact with you in that way and even have some offline conversations with you um so you can get us on twitter at masterclass fm on facebook at facebook.com slash masterclass fm or you can email us at masterclass fm at gmail.com dave's on twitter at 10 8 hbo that's t-e-n the number eight the letters hbo and I am at Cam Brennan. If you want to get at us individually about something that we said on the episode, uh, I think that's it, Dave. We're good. We'll be back next week at some yeah. point, and we may have a special guest. I don't. Know. Oh, really? I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about it. We'll see. I, I didn't tell Dave. He just found that out now for the first time. I, Anyhow, you know I I'm all for guest and. You know, if anybody out there listening thinks they'd make a good guest, let us know. Yes. We can <laughs> Skype you in because of the internet. All right. Well, that's it. I think we're good. Uh, I hope you guys have a lovely rest of the day. Dave, say goodbye. Goodbye. God bless. Adios.